This is Ember. You're listening to the Ember Podcast with Roger Edwards. Welcome back to Amber. This is Roger Edwards. And you know, I've, I've shared this a couple times. The reason I, I started this podcast, it, the, the idea literally came through just scrolling through social media and seeing people that I was friends with and people I was connected with and how interesting and how diverse some of their careers and callings were. So my guest today, Jared Latch, is, is the perfect example of this. Jared's a co-founder of Spherical Media and the play-by-play voice for Davidson uh, Basketball. And many of you may remember him from uh, being a sports reporter and, and um, you know, anchor at WCNC and WSOC here in Charlotte. But most importantly, Jared was one of my instructors here at the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. So that's uh, the, the, the role he played in, in, in my life. And I am just excited to have you here today, Jared. I'm excited to be here. Well, Jared, tell us a little bit first about your your family and uh, your wife and kids. I'm always happy to do that. You know, I think if you talk to a lot of people, I'm always the first one to show pictures off, maybe too much from time to time. But uh, my wife, JC, uh, we got married in 2012 and met back in 2008. We were, we were both actually working at Channel 9 here in Charlotte. Mm-hmm. So that's where our paths first crossed. And after I asked her out about three or four times, she finally said yes. And uh, again, got married, have two sons. Judson is the oldest. He's just turned four in January. And then Landon is our youngest at eight months. So we are fully functioning and and there's a mix of craziness and and beautiful and everything at home right now with with two young boys. I bet so. So so tell us uh, kind of uh, what what led you into the, the field of media and broadcasting. It goes back to school, uh, Walsh University out in Canton, Ohio. I went to school in 1999. I went there initially to play baseball. I had a partial scholarship athletically and academically, so there was a mix of the two. I was redshirted my first year in school. The guys were much bigger, much stronger. I was a center fielder all my life. Mm-hmm. And then you get to college, no matter what level, and guys are bigger and faster. So I spent that first year uh, getting bigger and faster myself. And then in my, my sophomore year, I was I was injured. I ripped up my hamstring pretty bad in fall baseball. And during that time, you take cer- certain elective classes that, that come across the line. And one was sports broadcasting. And I I looked at that and it sort of popped off the paper. It piqued my interest and said, well, first of all, this is probably an an easy A, number one. Mm -hmm. And number two, I I think it would be exciting to do. So I took this class with Jim Clark, who at the time was the voice of the AA affiliate for the Cleveland Indians in Akron. And he was also the voice of, of Walsh University Athletics. So I was in that class. And from the very beginning, there was something natural about having an ability and a talent to broadcast. Mm -hmm. And so shortly after that, or a little ways through that class, um, it's an interesting story. I'm actually in the restroom and he's beside me and he says, Jared, I said, yeah. He said, would you be interested in filling in for high school basketball and football? He said, our affiliate station that we use, WCER 900 AM here in Canton, Ohio, needs a backup. I was taken aback. I said, I 
never even really thought about that, even though I'm in a sports broadcasting class. But I ended up getting that role, and from there it grew, and I was a sports director at that small station in Canton, Ohio, for about three years Mm -hmm. during college. Got to do some cool stuff, interviews with Jim Trestle, who was the Ohio State head coach at the time, Bob Huggins, who everybody knows from, from college basketball. And forever I'll remember those guys spending time with me as a complete nobody mm-hmm. in Canton, Ohio. Uh, but I also got to do football and basketball. So that was the start of my broadcasting career. And from there, I had always stayed in touch with the sports director back home in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, in Western PA, an old steel town, a, a proud area uh, filled with great people. And Tim Rigby is his name. He's, mm-hmm. he's still around. He hit the airwaves in 1981, the year that I was born. Wow. Uh, but during the summers, I would come home, and he was a neighbor, lived right across the street. Tim would help me critique my cassette tapes and my broadcast, and he would say, hey, you're, you're doing these things really well. Here's a few things to work on. Well, it ended up, as school finished up, I was in Washington, D.C. my final semester. I worked at a place called the Talk Radio News Service and got to cover things at the White House for about three months and spent some time at the Capitol as well. And got back to Walsh, did a couple classes, was calling some games with the Akron Arrows because of of Jim Clark and that connection. And Tim called me and he said, the station has an opportunity for a news reporter. He said, I know that you want to be in sports. You're passionate about this. You're pretty good at it. You've got some, some foundational talent that we could work with. Mm-hmm. Would you be interested? And, and again, I thought, yeah, I guess so. I, I never thought about it. I was, I was cutting grass at Walsh University <laughs> during the day, enjoying it because they gave me a riding mower and that was exciting. <laughs> I could just whip around the fields and all the common areas of campus. And then in the afternoon around three or four o'clock, I would drive the 15 minutes to Akron and call the middle three innings of the Akron Arrows games. And so I I ended up going back to Johnstown. I did a a read in the teleprompter, which I'd never done before. And from there, I I didn't hear back for a few months. And and maybe it was a month. It seemed like a, a much longer time. And I thought, well, there goes that. I'll keep doing my radio thing. There's some marketing opportunities. My major was corporate communication. So I was exposed to business, marketing, PR, the full gamut in terms of that. Well, Tim called me and he said, hey, they want to offer you the job. I said, okay. And, and I thought about that for a while and decided, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this chance. And what was really special is that it was back home in Johnstown. And my grandparents, who were another set of parents to me, uh, lived there. The rest of our family was within probably 10 minutes of each other. Mm-hmm. So I spent four years on the air, and I was a news reporter at first for about six months. And then that weekend, just like Tim had, had said what happened, the weekend anchor left, and I became the weekend sports anchor. And that was a really quick uh, move because at the time it was market 94. So I was a top 100 market in my hometown. Local kid comes home and he's the sports guy on WJAC TV. So that's how the broadcasting uh, career got started. And it, it was sort of a path that I, I didn't see coming. But one thing to note is that my mom used to say I would, I would call games while playing video games in the, in the basement, in, in the beanbag. So yeah. I guess it was always there in some way, but it took those uh, scenarios to bring it out. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's awesome that you can take something that's that you consider fun, you do for fun, and it turns into a career and you actually make a living off of it. So that's wonderful. How, so how did that transition here to Charlotte? So around uh, 
let's see, 2007. I was at WJAC for, for four years. I was coming up on a contract year. And when you're in those lower markets, uh, the money is not great, to say the least. And I enjoyed being at home, but I, I wanted to renegotiate a contract and get to a certain level that I thought was more than fair, especially for the market. What I had done and, and the value that I could bring to that station, being a local kid, having the connections, being able to get stories, mm-hmm. uh, really the respect of the community in, in having that relationship. And they came back with a, a low ball offer that, that wasn't even close. So I said, you know what? I can't take that. It, it was it was disrespectful. It was a slap in the face yeah. uh, to me, as, especially at the level I was asking for, uh, which was more than reasonable. And so for a month, they said, okay, we'll give you an extra month on the end of your contract. You can find something to do. There's a big hospital system in town that I had some contacts there. I was going to look to get into PR, which always seems like a natural step for people to get out of television, mm-hmm. uh, a natural pathway to pursue. And... Channel 9, which I had put in a resume to and, and sent my, my resume real shortly before that, hadn't heard back. But in that interim month, and, and it may have come from talks with the news director as well in, in Johnstown. You know, she was uh, she was on my side. We didn't leave on bad terms. Uh, I think a lot of it came to the the general manager of the station that sort of vetoed what she wanted to put forth. Yeah. And she was sort of powerless in, in that scenario. But Channel 9 came back and said, hey, we, we saw your stuff. We, we think it's really solid. We'd like to fly you down. So I, I flew down here to Charlotte on Monday. I spent the full day with the station. I, I met with all the, the key representatives, some producers, others in the sports department. Uh, they took me out to dinner. Uh, Tuesday said goodbye. As I was leaving, they said, hey, you'll you hear from us this week. And on Friday, I, I got the job offer uh, the same week. I countered and was able to get a little bit more money and in terms of compensation. And within two weeks, I'd flown to Charlotte mm-hmm. and, and really started a new life. I, I knew one person down here, the, the brother of one of my good friends from high school was working in NASCAR, but that was it. He scoped out a couple places for me to live. I, I didn't visit other than that time for the interview. And I just moved down. Yeah. You know, I left, uh, I left Johnstown, which was, was really bittersweet, uh, my hometown. But in terms of opportunity, sadly, there's not a lot there. Mm-hmm. So if you if you want to, well, I don't want to say if you want to make something of yourself. It's just very limited yeah. in terms of what you can do. And so I decided that it was somewhere that I could always go back. And I don't have a lot of regrets, but I came to realize that if I didn't take this step at that moment in my life, that I would regret it later because I could always go back. And that was in, that was in 2007. So it's almost 13 years that I've been here in town. That's great. Yeah. And you, you moved to a, an area that has professional teams and just so much more to do, you know, uh, yeah, just in, you know the different things to cover, and so that that worked out pretty good. And, you know, and of course, the jump in market as well. What what size market was Charlotte then? Uh, Charlotte was still top thirty. Mm-hmm. They were just under under thirty, and now I think they're in the the low twenties. So it was uh, yeah, it was a great opportunity as far as market jump. I remember getting here and, and thinking this is this is really cool, you know, driving into Charlotte, and I I did have the opportunity in Johnstown to to cover the Steelers and. In the Penguins and the Pirates, the, the Pittsburgh market, Penn State, mm-hmm. Pitt. There was uh, minor league hockey and the Double A affiliate of the Pirates as well. So 
So it was a good market, not immediately around us mm-hmm. in the Johnstown area, but was able to cover a Super Bowl and, and a couple other things while there. But being in Charlotte, and I thought, hey, this is a this is a real city. There, were, there was a different feeling about it. And my first assignment when I got here was to go and, and cover some Panthers games on the road. And, and then the following February, I was in Daytona for a week to cover the Daytona 500 and go live from Victory Lane on a number of occasions. So right away it was like wow this is this is pretty cool you know when you're when you're in the business and you're in tv the deal is you have to move around in order to move markets and move up and, and getting to charlotte was a, a big step in the right direction so you're doing you know local local tv here uh and then um you know you're you're helping here teach at the at the school what what led you into creating uh spherical media how did that come together. Well, there's a big moment. And you know, what got me to teaching here at school was during the recession in 2009, I ended up losing my job at Channel 9. I was the number three. And I was a reporter, I was a fill-in anchor, I was a shooter as well. So I did it all. And around that time in in late 2008, when things were not good, I was given a heads up that they were going to cut, corporate was going to cut my position. And it didn't matter that it was me, it didn't matter if I was excelling at what I was doing, it was Mm -hmm. just the position. Yeah. So to them, it was a nameless position and a straight up cut. And I found that out in 2008 and and I stayed on board until June of 2009. I didn't want to go anywhere. Uh, They had offered me a job in Dayton, Ohio at WHIO, which is the the number one station there. uh, They said the deal was, hey, we'd, we'd love for you to succeed our our main anchor who is, is getting set to retire in a few years, you can become the number one, but nothing against Dayton, Ohio. But when you move to Charlotte, North Carolina, you're not thinking about moving back mm-hmm. uh, to Ohio, back into the cold. So <laughs> I, I gracefully declined and said, thank you for the offer and appreciate that you guys uh, laid that out for me, but I'm going to stay in Charlotte. And so come June, 2009. And, and during that whole time, I couldn't say anything to the rest of my department, which was really hard. You know, we used to joke that, hey, Cox is going to just cut sports at one point. I think they've done that at a few places across the country. And I think at this point they brought it back because it's an important fabric to areas, as you know. Mm -hmm. But lost the job in 2009 and then went through a grieving process. You're you're opportunistic in a way. You're you're bitter. You're you're angry. You're frustrated. You're depressed. You go through the whole thing. It's it's like mourning a loss because it's not something that you did on your own uh, to promote that action and to get you into that situation. So after about two or three months of that, and sometimes you just want to lay in bed. You don't want to you don't want to do much. And and my wife was with me in those early days, and she can attest to the way it was. And then about three months in, I just woke up and said, okay, it's, it's time to pick up and it's time to go. And I reached out to all the contacts that I had made, thankfully, with being in local television. And they gave me so much opportunity in different ways. I, I can't recall how I got connected to the Connecticut School of Broadcasting, but that was a big part of, of that interim time mm-hmm. from around 2009 through 2011 or 12. We started the business in 2011. And to get back to that point, I just feel it's important to set up the context yeah. of what was happening in my life because that was, a, that was a critical moment and a profound moment that would direct me to where I am now. 
but Spherical Media was a brainchild of, of three former sports anchors, uh, myself, Tim Bear, and Bill Voth. I worked with Bill at Channel 9 here in Charlotte. I lived with Tim Bear. He was at News 14 Carolina, which is now Spectrum News. He was the weekend sports anchor. And we were roommates for... I think three or four years and we used to sit up and and have a couple beers together on the front porch and say what's next you know what do we what do we want to do we we've always both been ambitious in terms of making an existing situation better and figuring out how to do that that, that's exciting to us so our initial idea and, and Bill was highly involved in this we looked at where we were in local TV and we looked at the trend of how athletes communicate And we came to the realization that they don't always need local TV to get their message out. And we see that now more than ever, Mm -hmm. that people can use their social media platforms. And what we used to say is become your own media outlet. And sometimes you need mainstream media to help you promote something. But most of the time, you can encapsulate whatever you want to say and put it out on your platforms. And people have no choice. So we said, hey, here's an opportunity. We've worked with athletes. You know, we get along with athletes, we understand them. Let's go into a a consultancy role and help them to elevate their brands so that they're more alluring to sponsors and can promote their message. So that's where we started in 2011. Uh, I was the first to come on board, and I wouldn't say full-time because I was juggling about five other things. And then they would would stage in, and Bill came on second, and, and Tim came in third. And our first, our first partner was Steph Curry because of our connection to Davidson. Yeah, so, that, yeah. yeah, so you talk about a, a first partner, and you couldn't work with a better person than Steph Curry. And we helped to elevate his brand for about three years. And in those early days, we were running different contests. It was, it was really getting him to be consistent on those platforms, and we knew that people would follow. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, Ricky Behrens, who was an Olympic swimmer who won gold in 2012 on the relay with Michael Phelps, was another of our athlete partners. And then we slowly got into corporate and business environment where we were helping to not only come up with the content, but then execute it across different sites and and come up with the pieces of the strategy that we felt would hit their target audience. So that was, that was 2011. That was the beginning. And then a couple of years in, Bill wanted to get back into sports media. He started blackandbluereview.com, which was an independent Panthers website, and did a fantastic job as a one-man wrecking crew in terms of content. Mm -hmm. And now works within the digital department with the Carolina Panthers. So he's doing well. He's got a great gig. But when that all happened, we saw beforehand that we were sort of pushing in a different direction. Uh, Agents were a challenge to work with. And the athletes, uh, for the most part, were great. But then you had this other wall to fight through. Mm -hmm. And the coming up of content can get very redundant and seem like the same thing over and over again. So at that point, we were pushing toward video. We hired our chief creative officer, David Kernodal, who we knew as a, as a colleague. He was also a local TV, but he had been shooting weddings in a cinematic fashion. And that's what really started to elevate us, took us in a different direction. Again, around 2013 or 14 is when we started building to where we are now as a, a creative or a creative video agency here in Charlotte. So, yeah, I was doing a little research, doing a little background, and uh, 
came across that you guys were one of the best places to work in Charlotte in 2018, 2019. I think the Business Journal here said that what what makes working at Spiracle so so different or so special than maybe some other places? I think it goes back to making things better. You know, when Tim and I thought about starting a business, we wanted to establish a certain quality of life. That was number one. Number two was flexibility that comes with a quality of life to spend time with your family and and not spend long hours every night at the office. You have to remember that we came from a world where you worked nights and weekends and holidays. And that was your consistent existence. Mm -hmm. You were opposite of everybody else. So from day one, when it was the three of us, and then the four of us, and then it continued to grow, that quality of life is the number one thing. I think what else that we want to inspire people to really collaborate together and to care about one another. And we try to run an organization that is is honest with one another. This past year, a big point of emphasis has been constructive accountability. And if you can be one to receive feedback and also give feedback when needed in a healthy way, it just elevates the mm-hmm. team to new heights, whether that's learning or just in those interpersonal relationships. And so, yeah, quality of life, having fun. And if you put those things in order, hard work comes because you want to do it together as a group on the same page. Everybody takes pride in the team output. Mm -hmm. And, And that's what we've created. And I'm glad you brought up the best places to work because we've been Uh, grateful to win a number of different awards, uh, whether it's for our videos or other accolades that have come our way. But the one that we're most proud of is being a best place to work Mm -hmm. because that's exactly what we set out to create in 2011 with Spiracle Media and even before that. So with... Who do you guys... I mean, uh, what would you consider your, your normal customer like the, the normal like who comes to you and i, I know in the, in the in the beginning was it was predominantly athletes but who who now do you guys cater to i guess our our major partnerships right now are across the board uh, we have some big corporate partnerships and a lot of the anchor companies in charlotte who we're thankfully able to work with uh, because storytelling has become such a pivotal part of what they do in extending their message either internally or externally mm-hmm. we work with a lot of universities because there's a great deal uh, or need for content there as well. We also are in the nonprofit space. Uh, We have some technology companies that we work with. But in terms of content uh, in the video sense, I've always said that video content does not belong in a box. Everyone needs it in some capacity, Mm -hmm. uh, whether that is the story of who you are. You have a new product. You are trying to bring in the best talent. So you, you need those, those culture videos. There's testimonials. There are commercials. There's so many different ways or routes that you can go within content. But that, that corporate, you know, it, it doesn't really matter. Corporate, nonprofit, university, tech, you know, we, we fit in all those different areas. And the flexibility sounds sounds great that you guys just aren't pigeonholed into like a, a corner that you guys are able to work in a lot of different ways with a lot of different people. And two, Roger, I'd add real quick is that the exposure to all those different areas has allowed us to build quite a, a resume in mm-hmm. a portfolio when someone comes to us. Very rare now for us to say, no, we don't have an example of that. Yeah. You know, we've been able to, to get reps 
in different areas and do it at a high level where we're like, here you go. Here's two or three examples of exactly what you want. And and that's a big part of, of converting new partnerships. Mm -hmm. And I think from, from just checking out what, what you guys do, uh, a big part of it is just kind of like what, what I try to do here on podcasting is storytelling. I mean, you, you you know, you, you you, you take a, a, a story and just lay it out for people to, to, and it helps to, I mean, that's, that's what people tend to gravitate towards. Right. I mean, absolutely. You must leave people with a feeling there's an emotion to it. Storytelling has been around from the very beginnings of the existence of mankind. And when you, go into any video situation, you want to evoke a reaction. Mm -hmm. And that reaction can be anything from uh, fear, happiness, uh, sadness. Mm -hmm. The emotion varies, but you have to capture that. And, And I see a failure with a lot of different agencies and video companies that claim to be storytellers. And and we go way back because of our experience. A lot of our team is intentionally built upon the foundation of former journalists and storytelling. That's Mm -hmm. what we are at the heart of who we are. Mm -hmm. And, And we subscribe to that model of a lot of our shooters. Those projects will continue with them as an editor. And that's, there's great purpose in doing it that way so that you can really capture the story, but you want to leave people uh, with that emotion. And you see a lot of times out there that people will, will put together videos and it's shot really well, but there's no feeling. Mm -hmm. Uh, It can just be a music video. And that's where we're different. You know, our, our teams go into an environment knowing the right questions to ask. They know how to react when there's an answer. They know how to, to go down a different path. They know how to be adaptable in the field. There's a lot of different traits that make our team different. And that's just the way we have, have raised it to be and set the table. But again, at the heart of who we are, our storytellers. That's awesome. All right. So what, where do you see Spiracle going? What do you, what do you see? Maybe not only with the company, but in, in, in your own life, what, what do you, what's, what's that, what's the future for Jared and, and Spiracle Media? That's, that's a loaded question, Roger. And, and you know that I'm sure you get that response uh, quite often because we, we do a lot of planning, you know, in our management meetings and our, our leadership meetings and looking at how big do we want to become. And, and right now we're a team of 18 and over the last couple of years, uh, two or three years, we've nearly tripled or quadrupled in terms of people and in revenue, which is essential for, for people to have jobs and to continue as, as a business owner. Uh, for us, I think it's just getting to a, a comfortable level. And it's trying to figure out what that comfortable level is, because mm-hmm. with more people come more challenges. When you make more revenue and you work with bigger partners, there comes more challenges. Uh, so we're still trying to figure that out. Uh, I think that what spherical media can become, uh, I'm not sure. You know, I, I think that we're going to see what the trends are and we're going to stay on top of those, especially with the technology. But one thing I feel comfortable about is that the core of what we do as storytellers won't change. And there's certain things that we've introduced recently, you know, that that storytelling piece is number one. Everything falls under that umbrella in a video sense. But we also have aerial video and photography. We are putting a heavy emphasis on live streaming 
which we've begun, and then also in the production of, of audio, whether that be podcast, short segments that can complement existing content mm-hmm. and another value add to our existing partnerships. But right now we're just we're just continuing to try to to try to build uh, to make sure our own house is in order mm-hmm. to continue to be highly relational in the way we go about our business because that's what it comes back to and I I touched on what we wanted to build with Spiracle Media and that was a, a quality of life uh, with a with a really high end valuable output on the end of it but the the other part of of Spiracle Media is relationships. That's, that's why we exist really is, mm-hmm. is to have relationships. And that has been as pivotal as anything on the outside for spherical media to be successful in, in a good solid relationship will always win the business and sustain it. Well, that's a great segue to, to my last question for you is, uh, you know, we, we've had conversations years ago when, when you were teaching here. Uh, what, how does, how has your faith impact what you do in your career and, and as a father and a husband? My faith is, is everything. My Christian faith, my, my belief in exhibiting or exemplifying Christ-like uh, behavior in, in everything that we do. It's something that I, I take extremely seriously. It's, it's the most important thing from the time I get up in the morning until the time I, I go to sleep. And in a business sense, it's, it's hard sometimes because you, you segment parts of your life and it should be no different uh, because that is uh, the core part of who I am and, and what I believe uh, that everybody's here for this greater purpose uh, to serve one another. And I think that's, that's the biggest part of, of working with our team and caring for our team and making sure people are on the same page. You know, the biggest thing that people want from you is to know they're cared for mm-hmm. and, uh, in a business sense and in a family sense, that's that's my responsibility. It's it's everybody's responsibility. Uh, I'm very active uh, at Back Creek Presbyterian Church, where I was called to serve as an elder a couple of years ago. And and there's things throughout my life uh, dealing with great tragedy, and and everybody goes through certain things. There's there's been a lot uh, that I've dealt with, uh, but it's not until you look in the mirror that you see the hand of God uh, walking and and holding your hand as you go forward. And there's a lot of things in, in terms of business ownership and the different relationships that I'm a part of where I don't, I'm not in those situations. Everyone's endowed with certain talents and abilities. And sometimes it takes longer than others to find what that is. Uh, but some of the things that I do wouldn't be possible without, without a nudge uh, from God and, mm-hmm. and somebody else that's a much greater power or strength than I have. And so it does. It, you know, my faith in, in everything, uh, especially from a family standpoint, you know, every night uh, I'll ask my son, Judson, who's four, and, and I say, hey, do you want uh, Daniel Tiger? You want to read a Bible story? And, and almost every single night uh, we may read some Daniel Tiger, but we read a Bible story. And, and those things are important. Uh, you know, lifelong uh, of forming that bond. You know, I was raised in a, a Roman Catholic home, and you know, it wasn't until about 2011, 12, around my time with my marriage, that I, I really came to have a relationship, and and that has really taken things to a whole new level. It it's a perspective changer because you look at the mess of this world, and to me, it it makes sense of of where we are. 
mm-hmm. in who we are uh, compared to anything else. You know, you, you're not going to sway me on that, but it remains a, a core of who I am. And, and I tried to uh, just live that example. And of course, uh, daily, I fail at that, uh, like everybody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, our imperfections, uh, everything uh, is, is out there. Uh, but yes, uh, that's where it comes into play with my thinking, with my family, with my relationships, with our teammates at Spiracle Media, my work with Davidson. Uh, I hope that they can see uh, that, that Christ-like aspect of my life in, in everything that I do. That's awesome. Jared, I, I thank you so much for coming today. If, if somebody's interested in, in contacting you about, you know, maybe uh, hearing more about Spiritual Media, what's the best way to get a, get a hold of well, you? I'll tell you what, you know, you can just email me uh, directly. It's fine. And that's Jared, J-A-R-O-D, at SpiritualBuzz.com. Again, Jared at SpiritualBuzz.com. You know, I, I'd, be, I'd be happy to hear from you. And yes, if there's uh, some way we can be of service from, from a company, that, that's great as well. All right. Thank you, Jared. Appreciate it, Roger.